This is the Road Trekking Podcast with your host, Jimmy James. It's a show about my trip from Ontario to British Columbia and back in a vintage 92 camper van. And I invite you to come along for the ride. Welcome to episode six, Winnipeg to Regina. Now, uh, we'll start with the trip log. My total kilometers traveled are 3,299 kilometers. My repair costs are still sitting at about $800. Luckily, I was able to fix my last issues in Winnipeg on my own. Thank goodness. Um, Current location is actually in a town called Fort Capel, which is about 50 kilometers northeast of Regina and my GPS coordinates. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Um, (laughs) Interesting drive. So when you leave Winnipeg, uh, you head west along the Trans-Canada Highway, which I believe at this point is called Highway 1, and you pass through just a number of small towns. among them, you pass through a small town called Brandon, which is kind of cute. And I actually stopped in a town called Verdon, which is a nice place. I, I picked up some fuel. I was able to get a bite to eat, and I just continued along. Again, now, we're heading across the prairies. The land is very flat. Um, a little bit later on, I'm going to talk about how, you know, the prairies are not as flat as you think. But That being said, where they have driven the highway through, it's pretty much a very straight, flat uh, shot to wherever it is that you're going. So put the cruise control on, put a bungee cord on the steering wheel and, you know, hold it straight and you'll be good to go for a few hours. I continued along the uh, Trans-Canada Highway, going on Highway 1, all the way through a bunch of little towns, Elkhorn, uh, Mooseman, Whitewood, uh, Wolseley, and eventually I made a right at a town called Indian Head, which somehow, I'm not quite sure what was going on with the GPS, but it took me up some weird gravel roads, and I, I'm trying to meet my next friend, who's Brennan. And he was going to host me for a couple days. He did host me for a couple days. And uh, I head up this road. It's all gravel. You end up making some turns and, you know, you're swer- you know, swerving around stuff. And eventually you get into this little town and it, the town is absolutely beautiful. I don't want to draw too much attention to it because uh, it, it's one of these places that's far enough from the main city that it still retains that small town vibe, but it's close enough that if you needed something, it's not a big deal to get into town. There is something to be said about the highways here. The highways uh, typically have a speed limit of 110 kilometers an hour, but what's interesting and uh, much different than in Ontario is people actually adhere to the speed limit. So if it's 110, people do 110. Uh, you can go in the slow lane, you could do 100, 195, no problem. People can pass you. It's a two-lane highway, very good. Once you get off the beaten track and you start heading into the smaller towns, getting getting away from the Trans-Canada Highway, that changes, of course. But that being said, the highways are really nice, smooth, uh, flat-top asphalt, no issue at all. You just set your cruise control and away you go. So I got into Fort Capel and I met my friend Brennan. Now, Brennan has a really cute little house, uh, backs onto a sort of a wilderness lot. 
I was able to park and just sort of relax, decompress for the evening. And, and that was nice. Brennan set up a fire for us. So he's been uh, clearing his land. He's got a, he's got a bit of property there. And uh, he actually, the time I spent with him, I think there was a fire going nonstop in the backyard. He had a big, uh, uh, it, to me, it almost looked like a cauldron or it was like almost like a satellite dish turned uh, upside down or inverted so that it's just a big, deep dish. Apparently, it was something that came from a mill somewhere where they used to grind, I think, um, uh, wheat or flax or something into into flour. But it just made an amazing fire pit and we had a fire going, it seemed like, all the time. When I stopped there, uh, my first night, we noticed, uh, you know, we're sitting out having a chat and uh, this cat comes uh, walking along the back of the property and it's kind of skulking in the bushes. And Brennan, he, he goes, come here, cat, come here. And, and the cat came and, uh, you know, for whatever reason, I don't know, but animals seem to have like an attraction to me. Anyway, Brennan calls his cat, come on, cat, come here. And the cat comes over and it immediately latches onto me. It's sitting under my chair. It'll let me, and don't get me wrong. This is like a feral cat. It has no collar. It wasn't clear to us that it belonged to any of the neighbors. Um, The cat sits under my chair. You know what? It'll let me rub it. I can actually roll it on its back and touch its tummy. And uh, Brennan, Brennan is a member of the First Nations, and he has a really unique perspective on this. You know, he's like, the cat chose you, Jimmy. You, you, you know, this cat is now yours. And I'm, I'm going, okay, whatever. He says, uh, no, we have to give it a name. And I said, okay, fine. I'm going to call this cat Go Away, right? I don't, know, I don't need this cat following me around. And uh, the cat stayed there with, with us all night. We had a fire. We relaxed. The cat hung out. We fed it a little bit. And it, it just liked hanging around. Um, the interesting part is the cat never left. I'll get into that in a moment. But uh, she really seemed to like me. And uh, it was very, very strange because I've, I've experienced where animals will come up to me. There was one time I was in my backyard and uh, baby fawn deer came out. I don't know where the mother was, but it just came out and sort of stared at me and went, Meh. you know, they, they, they make a sound sort of like a baby. I don't know, like a, like a cow or something almost. They, they or a sheep is kind of like a bah, bah, bah sound. And I said to the little deer, I go, where's your mama? You know, where's your mom? Your mom's got to be close by. And this deer just kept walking closer and closer and closer to me. And eventually it came right up to me and it, it licked my leg and I, I guess I tasted good. I don't know. And then all of a sudden this deer was like my best friend and it followed me around my property. And I'm saying, okay, let's find your mom, right? Your mom has to be close by. Where's mama? Where's mama? And I walked around and this deer just followed me everywhere. I went around my property, the deer would follow me. And my neighbor, um, ended up coming out of their house with their dog and the dog kind of let out a big, like woof. And the 
the deer, the, the hind legs kind of sprung up and it was just a fawn. So they're, they're a bit, uh, not coordinated properly. The, the rear legs went boing, you know, you know, almost over the front legs The the deer almost did a somersault and bounded boom, 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 three times into the cornfield that I back onto. And then I saw that it was probably laid down cause I didn't see it anymore. And I stayed up all night that night, you know, wondering, did was the little fawn okay? And I had these images in my head that I'd have to tie a ribbon around its neck, you know, so that when it got older during hunting season, people would know this is a pet. I stayed up all night and thinking that, you know, maybe this deer was going to come back. Maybe the mother had disappeared. Uh, the next day, <clears throat> I, di- I didn't see the deer that night. The next day I went out and I could actually walk through the corn and see where the deer had broken the stalks of corn and had bedded down and the deer wasn't there anymore. So luckily I, d- I didn't have to take care of that deer or put a ribbon around its neck or anything like that. But uh, at the same time, this cat just absolutely took a shining to me and just wanted to hang around with me, was interested in everything that I was doing. I wanted to come and check out the van, see everything, you know, and and that's fine. I figured, okay, this is just some cat that's uh, doing something and, uh, you know, it's hanging around. So anyway... Uh, I spent the night there and we had a, we had a nice time, but the next day uh, turned out to be Canada day, uh, July 1st. And Brennan said, well, why don't we go down and check out some of the Canada day festivities in the town? This is something worth checking out. And certainly, um, we'd want to see what's going on in Fort Capel. I agree. So we went down and <laughs> this is the most unique Canada day celebration I have ever seen. Uh, first of all, we hopped on bicycles. Brennan lent me lent me one of his bikes, and we went down to the main street where there was a parade, Canada Day parade happening. Now, a Canada Day parade in Saskatchewan apparently is much different than it is uh, in Ontario or anywhere else I've been. We lined up on the main street, and for a town with such a small population, there were a lot of people. I mean, this street was completely packed. And the parade consisted of floats from local businesses, the Shriners, the Lions Club, but there was also a a motorcade of tractors, uh, old cars, new cars. It seemed like anybody really that wanted to be in this parade could just be in the parade. And they threw candy for all the kids, and it, it was a really nice time. I really enjoyed that a lot. And I've never seen a parade where just local farmers would just drive a tractor down the middle of the road and, and sort of be a spectacle for the parade. But I thought that was really neat, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. So it might be worthwhile mentioning now that Fort Capel is a unique town in that at one time, uh, I believe it was in the 1860s, 1864, I think, it was established as an outpost for the Hudson Bay Company. And that fort actually still exists. Uh, we took our bikes down and we were able to take a look at it. It's a, an old building and it has a big wooden fence around it and now it comprises sort of a campground or a park that's located uh, right on the shores of something called echo lake which is part of a chain of lakes that runs in this capel valley and this is one of the first you know observations that i made about the prairies where i thought you know what what people have told me is not true and that's that the prairies are not completely flat When you drive across the Trans-Canada, yes, the highway is flat and straight. 
But as soon as you get off the beaten path, as soon as you get away from that Trans-Canada Highway, the landscape changes drastically. Uh, there's valleys, there's lakes, there's hills, rivers, you name it. That That's all going on. But we, we seem to just uh, accept the fact that the prairies are completely flat because we look at what the the map says, we, we listen to what people say, and everybody just does a flat-out burn through the prairies. So it's really nice being able to take the opportunity to stop, check out some of these smaller towns, and see exactly you know what the landscape is like. As part of the Canada Day celebrations, they were having what's called a pelican race. Now, I've, I've never heard of a pelican race, but there are certainly duck races where they'll take a bunch of ducks, you buy a ticket, you know, the ducks have a number, they dump them in the river and you see, uh, you know, which duck comes first and you win a prize if you get there. Um, they did the same thing, but with pelicans. I don't know why. I, I didn't see any pelicans there, but this is what they're doing. So we bought pelicans and we rode our bikes to where they dumped them. So they, they take this huge bag. It's, it's almost like a cage, actually. And the bottom drops out, all the pelicans drop in the river, and then they just float downstream. So luckily we were able to hop on our bikes and ride down to where the finish line was and uh, <laughs> monitor what pelicans were winning. Uh, admittedly, there was, uh, I might be incriminating myself. I don't think so. But uh, there were some pelicans that got caught in like little eddies and kind of turned around and went the wrong way. I, I felt bad for one of them. It was just sitting there circling while the bulk of the pelicans had been well downstream. So I rescued it and uh, I made a decision. I would just hold on to it as a souvenir. They, they, they were not in contention of winning. There's no way the, the pelican, the, the bulk of the pelicans was still way downstream. So Anyway, we rode to the finish line, and when we got there, it turned out some of the floats from the Canada Day Parade were hanging around at the finish line for this pelican race, and we were able to actually sit on the uh, Lions Club float. We sat up there, and we had a couple of drinks, and people came by. We'd wave at them. It was quite funny, and just <laughs> kind of relaxing and enjoying the day. Oh, none of our pelicans won, by the way. Um, but I thought it was really cool. And it was neat that such a small town uh, was able to <laughs> have so many activities for Canada Day. Just, you know, out of curiosity, I checked out the population of Fort Capel. And the population as of the 2021 uh, census, I think, is 1,927. So it's quite a small town. The other interesting part actually is that the town is divided by a railroad track and a highway so on one side of that um, you you have a little town and then you ride over to the other side and you get to the old fort where they have a campground and you're in this place called echo lake and echo lake is surrounded by quite high hills that just lead down into the lake and it's just this pristine beautiful lake that uh, tourists are hanging around people are at the beach everybody's having fun it was really nice to see and to know that in a place that everybody says oh it's completely flat there's barren there's nothing in the prairies yeah not the case beautiful 
beautiful lakes there. Uh, absolutely gorgeous with sparkling blue waters. And, and from what I heard, good fishing. Uh, I didn't purchase a Saskatchewan fishing license, so I didn't go fishing there. But I was tempted to try to throw a line in. Of course, uh, I always feel bad if, if I haven't purchased a fishing license. I, I think I'm sort of cheating the system. And I, and I would be because I like to contribute to the uh, natural resources of the land. And that's what fishing licenses are supposed to go towards. We also stopped by the Legion where they were doing burgers and hot dogs and they had drinks. It was just absolutely packed. I couldn't believe the amount of local people that came out to celebrate this, but it really speaks to that small town vibe where everybody kind of cares about each other. And we had a great time just talking to random people. Brennan knew a lot of the folks that were there and we, we hung out and chatted and, and had a really good time just uh, eating and drinking and talking to people about whatever was going on. And I thought that was really great. Um, we went down to the, the Echo Lake beach where they announced the winners and of course yeah we didn't win um but we we were able to sort of look at what was going on there one of the the things of note was that apparently they've received more rain this year than they ever had and the the hillsides that were surrounding this lake were just this like lush green beautiful it was like an oasis in the middle of the prairies and i was really impressed by it i kind of fell in love with the town to some degree i just thought it was so great that you know these people lived in this little niche part and it, and it it didn't really seem to fall in line with the expectations of what it would be like staying somewhere on the prairies when brennan and i returned to the house the cat was there waiting for me and uh I felt bad because I had called it Go Away. And Brennan said, you know, we should probably give it a different name. I agreed. So I said, okay, I'm going to call it Go Away. Kind of like a, an abbreviation of the word and it sounded like a name. The cat hung around with us all night. Uh, we had a fire and the, the cat let me, you know, sat on my lap. It was just loved me rubbing it and hung around and everything. That was amazing. Um, the next day, Brennan said that uh, he actually had an extra ticket for a Rough Riders game in Regina. Now, I've never been to a Rough Riders game. I have been to a Toronto Argonauts game uh, at one point in the past. And, you know, it's a typical Canadian football game. There's not the, the same sort of tailgating, the same sort of camaraderie that goes on in the U.S. Uh, football uh, community. But Certainly, it was neat to do, to go to. Rough Riders game, completely different. Uh, we went to Regina, and around the stadium, they actually had all the roads blocked off with uh, graders, which is basically a tractor with a big blade on it, and tractors. So they block off all the roads around the stadium. We had to park a ways away, and we walked in. Now, here is an observation. Rough Riders fans are probably the strongest, most committed fans to any sport that I have ever come across. Uh, for anybody listening to this that's a fan of hockey, it's not even close. And I'm not trying to diminish the fans of, of hockey or other sports, but this was absolutely amazing. Um, the, the colors of the Rough Rider are green, and uh, Brennan was 
kind enough to lend me a jersey. The under, you know, the way he explained it was, if I didn't wear a jersey, I might get beat up. So, okay, I put on a, a jersey, and it it was amazing. Just a sea of green at this game, and everybody, you know, people were dressed up as like the Riddler. People had like a watermelon that was hollowed out and shaped like a football helmet. They were wearing on their heads. This was an amazing sporting event. I've never seen anything like it. The, with the commitment to the fans, the excitement, just the overall energy of the crowd was absolutely amazing. After the game, we picked up Brennan's friend, Uni. Uni's also a member of the First Nations, and she had a really interesting story. We went back to Brennan's place and had a fire, and she started to tell me, open up just a little bit, about her experience in the residential school system. Now, I had no idea that the last residential school closed in 1996, and that, that actually corresponds with my age as well. Um, had I been a First Nations person in the right place, uh, I very well may have gone to a residential school. And that that really hit me hard. This was something that I thought was uh, going on during my grandparents' time, maybe ending in my parents' time. No, not the case. Um, she stayed at a residential school. Uh, they, they admitted them. They shaved their heads. And she told a few stories. She didn't completely open up about it. But uh, she did tell me that it, it was a horrible experience. And my heart really went out to her. And uh, Brennan and I, you'll see in a subsequent interview, we talk a little bit about First Nations people and uh, the history and, and what went on in the, in the prairies. But it was really interesting to meet somebody who was of my age group who had been part of this. And I think that's something that's really important for people to realize. We often think that these atrocities that were committed in the past, you know, this is some kind of distant past, you know, whereby we say, hey, you know, this was so far long ago, we don't really know what happened. Well, there's still tons of people. There are people uh, in their in their 30s and their 40s who went through this system and they definitely have perspectives on it and viewpoints. And unfortunately, in this country, uh, I don't think that we pay enough attention to it. We think that it has to do with some, some kind of ancient past and, and it's definitely not. The other thing to note is that when we had returned to Brennan's house, uh, the cat was waiting. It was waiting for me by my van. And uh, then I really started to feel guilty, okay? I, I thought, okay, no, go away, go away. These are not fair names. I have to give this cat a proper name. And Brennan seemed to have this sort of spiritual perspective where he says that the cat chose me you know, the animal chooses the owner and you have to have respect for that. So I uh, decided that I was going to change her name and uh, I named her Tuxie because uh, she looks like she's wearing a little tuxedo, a little black and white uh, kind of fur coat with the, with the white hands, a, a black body and a white belly. And that, that went over well. And for the rest of the time that I was there, Tuxie was kind of a fixture by my side and I, I really enjoyed her company. Brennan also said, you know, the cat had chosen me so I would need to take the cat with me. And this, this is a feral cat, okay? It doesn't belong to anybody. But I didn't think that it was fair that uh, I would take the cat, you know, in the van. It's, it's not a good place for a cat. So I asked Brennan, you know, would you mind if, if the cat sticks around uh, and it waits for me? 
then uh, I'll definitely, I'll pick it up on my way back to Ontario and then Tuxi can come and live at my house. And uh, <laughs> every day that I was there, that cat was outside of my van in the morning going meow, 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 wanted me to come out and pet it and play with it. And uh, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's silly, but I really felt a connection to this cat. So uh, hopefully it waits for me while I travel across the country and it's waiting there for me when I get back. I would really like that a lot. I just want to talk about Regina a little bit more. And I find it really interesting that in Saskatchewan, maybe because the population is spread out amongst farming communities, um, or perhaps because they just have a low population density, the towns are not that big. So Regina is the capital of Saskatchewan and the population is somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 uh, to 230,000 people, which that in Ontario, that would be like Oshawa or kind of like a mid-sized town. But the capital of Saskatchewan actually has quite a small population. Now, it's my understanding that Saskatoon, which is another town north of Regina, I'll be passing through that on my way back, has a little bit more in terms of population. But it's fascinating that uh, the big cities in some of these prairie provinces are actually small cities by standards in some of the other provinces, thinking about like Toronto with populations in the millions, same with Vancouver, Victoria, etc. And I thought that was really interesting. It also gives a unique vibe to the city. When we drove around the city, we uh, had a chance to take a look at some of the architecture and stuff like that. And it's sort of a mix of old and new. Um, after Brennan had take me, taken me out on his bike, I was inspired. I figured, you know what, I, I need a bicycle for this trip. So I found a guy on Kijiji that was selling a bike and we met up with him. I took the bike for a test drive. I bought, I bought a bicycle for $50, uh, nice bike, uh, no problems with it. It's just old. And I'm hoping that that suits me well for the rest of my trip. Anyway, so my next stop is going to be, uh, going through, Alberta and checking out some of the stuff there and uh, continuing on to the West Coast. Now, in terms of lessons learned and observations, uh, one, the Trans-Canada Highway is great going through these provinces. It has a high speed limit. The road is flat, paved. They've put a lot of money into that. But when you get off the Trans-Canada, things change a lot. Uh, the roads are not particularly well maintained. Um, they're very windy. And also the landscape is different. They obviously chose places to put this main highway where it would be uh, very easy to build a highway. It's flat, it's straight, and it, it's great for driving if you're trying to make time. But when you get off the main highway, the roads and the landscape change drastically. Uh, there's valleys, rivers, lakes, all kinds of stuff that you wouldn't expect in the prairies, especially from the stories. You know, everybody says stuff like, oh, in the prairies, a dog can run for three days and you'll still see it or, or stuff like that. It's not the case. It's not the case at all. You get into certain places and there's these beautiful little lakes. They're, they're, they're like oases uh, or oases, whatever you would call it. It's like a little hidden gem and uh, you can go there and 
relax and you, you wouldn't know that you're sitting on, on a flat piece of land. The, the land is not flat. There are hills and valleys and, you know, lush grass, trees, you know, everything that you would expect, expect in any other province. And it's, it's all in a place that everybody says, ah, it's just flat, you know, drive right through it. Not a big deal. So I, I wanted to mention that. The other uh, thing that I wanted to talk about is um, the this cat, Toxie. That was just the sweetest thing. I, I don't know what it is with me, why animals want to come and follow me or hanging around with me. Uh, but I thought it was really sweet that uh, she took a shining to me and liked hanging around with me. And as somebody that's traveling on their own, I really appreciate it, whether it be human company or animal company. Uh, I thought that was cool. And hopefully she's waiting there for me when I get back. Who knows? Uh, and lastly, that uh, Brennan, my host, he was absolutely amazing. And I am really grateful uh, for him taking me to the Rough Riders game. I have never seen anything like that. I mean, the crowd was just electric and everybody was so into it. It, it, it really makes you start to feel into it. I, I wish I knew more about Canadian football, but I don't, unfortunately. But I can tell you, just being to one game, you're hooked immediately. It's like, you know, if you're not a Rough Riders fan, then you're missing out because these these people are so committed to it. The experience in itself, it, it's just amazing. It's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. So I would say anybody who's out there, go to a Rough Riders game and check it out. There, there's nothing like that. And there's definitely no, uh, <laughs> there's definitely no fans for any other sporting event that I've ever attended that have the dedication that uh, Rough Riders fans do. So my hat goes off to you folks. Uh, if you're a Rough Riders fan, you guys really are committed. Well, that's it for this podcast. I'd encourage you to tune in to the next one, which is my interview with Brennan. We get to talk about the prairies and some First Nations issues, some really interesting stuff we dig into, and I really enjoyed that conversation. And of course, if you enjoy the podcast, I would ask you to subscribe, like, and hit the notification icon on your podcast uh, platform of preference. And of course, I'm going to remind everybody to be kind to one another and to keep on road trekking. Bye.